Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Good day, boys and girls. Welcome in to another episode of the Free Retiree Show, your go-to podcast for all things career, money, and we interview people that have done amazing things in their career. I'm your host, Wealth Manager Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside interview coach and career mentor Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matt McElroy. What's going on? Welcome into a money management edition of the Free Retiree Show. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about real estate. It's been a while since we talked about this subject, but you know, everyone's talking about it. I'm sure you've seen people in your own life that have talked about moving, wanting to move. And maybe you're one of those people that did move or refinance. There's a lot going on right now because of COVID and the new environment we're living in. And for today, we thought it'd be great if we gave everyone a real estate update just to catch everyone up to speed. Seems like news is changing every week day-to-day in the space. And we're also going to talk about relocation because that seems to be the hot topic right now. Everyone's thinking, I got to move out of this city and move to the next city. And this is the perfect time because we don't have to go into the office. We're going to teach you guys about what you need to look for, buying opportunities. For this topic, we have a special treat. Guys, Serge, Matt, we don't have many friends, obviously, on the Free Retiree Show. We're kind of an outcast podcast. People don't really like us that much. But we have a friend. He is our best friend, probably. Nate Johnson, former CMO of Realtor.com, and he's going to be the guy giving us advice today. This is like... Are you saying it correctly? Because I remember... I yeah, that's what I was wondering. I, I got it right <laughs> is this it right time. Now? It's Realtor. Right, Nate? Did I get that? Yeah, good work. It only took you six months or so. He, I've been practicing ever since our episode. Realtor. Real good work, buddy. I good got work. it, though. I'm sure he drilled it right before we got on right now, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got to get this right for Nate. This is the one thing he told me I got to change and get right. So I learned how to say it. Thank you, Nate. Nate, how have you been, man? Hey, if that's the only thing you have to worry about getting right, you're doing okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. Like, am I the first return guest? You are. You are. First. We, we, we love I you that great. much. I am humbled and honored, especially in light of the unfortunate events of the first round of the March Madness tournament. Oh, God. It's just like, I'm, oh, thank you for bringing I'm surprised. That I'm surprised that you had me back. But what I will say is this probably isn't going to be available until after March Madness. So it's entirely possible that my Michigan Wolverines will lose in the first round today. I'm, I'm, so, I'm hoping for I, that. I'm I humble. Like that I, yeah. more yeah. Michigan fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm repping too. I'm repping today. Yeah, no, good. I mean, here we are. We're a year in on this pandemic and light at the end of the tunnel for sure, right? It feels like every day you're hearing, we were just talking about kids back in schools. We're talking about families. More and more people in our families are getting vaccinated. All this stuff is really good momentum. And so, yeah, feeling optimistic, which is a good place to be because it's been a long year. Happy to be here talking to you guys. This is a pleasure on this side of the table. I mean, the former CMO of Realtor.com, this is like if you went to a camp and you said, Steph Curry is going to teach middle schoolers how to shoot three-point jumpers. I mean, we appreciate you coming on and 
given all your expertise in this area. So I think for today, we want to know what does the real estate look like right now? What is the overall landscape of the market? And as we talked about in our intro, people want to move, people want to relocate. What do we need to look for? This is on all of our minds right now. I think actually all three of us, the hosts of our show, this is all going through our minds. So it'd be great to hear what you have to tell us. Boy, it's super interesting trends in real estate over the last year. Ups and downs and in-betweens. And I think the punchline right now is it's a good time to be a seller. (laughs) Oh God, yeah, right? Oh yeah, It's a really good time to sell, right? If you take a step back, it's sort of an economics 101 supply and demand issue. You need your supply, which is you need listings for sale. You need people to want to sell their homes. And across the country, that inventory is down significantly. People are not selling for whatever reason. You would think that there'd be more people up to selling, but right now it's like double digits down in almost every major market. There are 200,000 fewer listings available now than we would expect to see this time of year. It's a huge number, right? That's what's kind of happening on the supply side. On the demand side, it's insane for a variety of reasons. Money is cheap, right? You can still get a loan for 3%. That's crept up a little bit over the last few weeks now but you can still get that 30-year fixed loan for a little bit over 3%. If you look at last year versus this year, the average monthly mortgage payment has only gone up a couple of bucks, which is kind of crazy. And that's because people are able to kind of lock in at lower rates, even if the prices have gone up a little bit. And then beyond that, just on the demand side, you've got a lot of pent-up demand because Last year, the real estate market kind of like stalled out, especially going into the pandemic. I mean, there were three or four months in a row where they weren't doing open houses. Transactions just really slowed down. And so lots of people who wanted to buy last year to take advantage of these rates and to potentially move anywhere because their job could be done from anywhere. That all sort of built up into kind of a wave that's come into this year. Sites like Zillow and Realtor.com are seeing absolutely insane traffic. Mm -hmm. Nate, what do you think is holding people back or what's the hesitation of listing or selling with the market being so high, right? Matt and I have been waiting for the market to crash and it hasn't, but (laughs) one day it will, right? Yeah, someday. Remember that most of the time sellers are also buyers. And so like they don't have the next house to move into because the inventory is tight. So it's kind of like this perpetuating cycle in a way where you sort of got to get the first link of the chain to start pulling in one direction so that the next one can go and the next one to go. And unfortunately, I think we talked about this last time too. It's the first time home buyer that really kind of struggles on some of this stuff because they want to buy that entry level home, which is kind of like the last link in that chain that's going to move along. That's one of the things that's driving some of that. So right now, where do you see people moving? Is there like a trend right now? Because it's funny, we're all Bay Area guys. Now, I think all of us have heard about this mass exodus of people leaving the Bay Area. But for everyone that leaves, someone seems to take that spot and wants to buy up that house right away with given this high demand. But where are people going to? Especially like in a market like the Bay Area, where this is like prime real estate, probably one of the best real estate spots in the world. Where are people going to? This one is really interesting to me. And I think all you got to do is do a little bit of searching online and you see tons of points of view and methodologies and approaches. One of my favorites on this was, and this was back over the summer, U-Haul actually shared that for every five trucks that were leaving the Bay Area, one was coming back in. So they actually had to jack up the price of U-Hauls 
here in the Bay Area so that they could kind of come to like equilibrium in terms of where the trucks are. Because if a truck goes from here to Las Vegas, you got to get that truck back or at least get another truck in its place. And that really wasn't happening. So you read some of these trend lines and you're like, oh my God, the sky is falling. Everybody's leaving, that kind of stuff. I think what's happened as this has settled in a little bit is people are relocating from urban locations, definitely cities. Like you're seeing it in San Francisco, you're seeing it in New York, you're seeing it in some other locations like that where people feel kind of cooped up. And they have sort of realized that for many of them, they'll be able to do their job anywhere, at least for a little while. But the first place they're going is not necessarily like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, although that sounds awesome. I've heard good things. Yeah, it's killer this time of year too. Spring skiing. They're more likely to go to the suburbs around their city. So yes, they are relocating, but many times they're relocating 20, 30, 40 miles. It's not like they're relocating 500 miles, 1,000 miles. What you are seeing in certain locations, this is kind of what's happening in the Bay Area. It's kind of stalled out in San Francisco and maybe a little bit Oakland. Some of the markets elsewhere in the Bay Area are still really strong, like the Cupertinos and San Jose's and all those. Like they're still seeing good price appreciation happening too. New York's another really interesting example, right? New Jersey is the one that's really kind of reaping the benefits because people are just moving across the river into the suburbs um, and seeing that too. Now, that being said, there's definitely parts of the country that are seeing more people moving in. And a lot of that is sort of in the West, Texas, Arizona, Idaho, Colorado. Those are markets that have seen pretty good growth and sort of migration patterns over the last year. In some cases, that has to do with just people like living in the West. And in many cases, there are tax advantages of living in places like that, as opposed to paying through the nose like we do here in California. That's definitely one of the migration patterns that you're starting to see. But this sort of like mass exodus thing, I think is just convenient for headlines and news articles. It is happening, but not in the way that you would expect. It's more people are moving to the suburbs out of the cities. That's a great observation. And that makes a lot of sense. Only thing that doesn't make sense is Idaho. I mean, <laughs> yeah, who wants to move out to Idaho? Let's be honest. I mean, well, hey, Boise is kind of nice, but Boise is kind of nice, but I don't know about outside of Boise. But all of the listeners that you just had in Idaho have unsubscribed. <laughs> just kidding, guys. I know you guys have wonderful you potatoes. You can't shit on an entire state, Lee. <laughs> so yeah, we don't have selective. any friends for the show. <laughs> be selective. Be selective. What is interesting is there's a lot of research now that's suggesting that many of these jobs and roles will continue to be able to be remote. And there are some of the more progressive employers, like Twitter is a great example of that. They're basically like, you don't ever need to come back to the office. So for a certain type of worker, they can move to Boise. I actually have a friend that just moved to Boise. I'll be sure to share your sentiments with him about that. <laughs> but for them, it was a quality of life decision. He knew he could continue to work in the job that he was working in. The school system, from their perspective, was a better school system. Access to the outdoors, the tax mm. expenses were significantly lower, right? And so for him and his wife and his two kids, that made a lot of sense. Yeah, I've heard amazing things about Boise, but I just never been out there. So, but everyone's telling you great things. Like they can go mountain biking, a lot of outdoor yeah. activities. Yeah, well, I think- that's, I mean, this is not real estate related, but talk about businesses that have really benefited over the last year. Anything that allows you to get outside, those businesses have crushed it. I read the other day yeah. that golf has experienced like this renaissance and apparently golf push carts 
sales of those have gone up like 350% in the last year. <laughs> and it makes sense, right? Like, it's you know, crazy. People are getting outside. The RV business too. That was yeah. like a dead dying business. And totally. now it's exploded. Totally. I have a really good friend of mine actually last March or April, he and I were chatting. He's like, I just bought a bunch of stock in Winnebago. And I'm thinking like, what the hell are you doing? Winnebago. He's like, I think people are going to want to get outside. And boy, he nailed it. <laughs> oh, he's, he's killing it. It's just like, we had Greg Mee, the CEO of CrossNet on here. And that's like four-way volleyball. Yep. They were like doing, I think a million in sales a couple of years ago. And they're going to probably hit 15 million in their, in their 12 month. Yeah. Just because of COVID and everyone yeah. has to do outdoor yeah. activities. Like, so. I hope some of that stays. I hope that people realize that it's good to be outside. Hopefully yeah. you're listening to this podcast while you're out for a run or a walk or something. Right? <laughs> so let's go on to what we need to look for, right? Obviously mm. a lot of people are making changes, whether it's far away or maybe it's just that 30, 40 miles. Yep. What do we need to look for? Because obviously when you buy a major purchase, like a piece of property, you want to make sure it appreciates in value. You're set up for success. So what are the things that we need to look for? I think there are some things that are sort of like longstanding good rules of thumb when you're looking to buy a home, especially if you're looking for it to maintain or appreciate in value. It's all about location. Again, location, location, location. And what community is it in? What's the school system like? Is it close to amenities? Does it check a lot of those boxes? I think there's never been a bad time to buy a home in a good school district. Like that's always going to be a good rule of thumb. I think with COVID, some other types of amenities and things that people are looking for have shifted a little bit, right? Like Home offices, a space where you can hang out and exercise, especially if you're in a colder part of the country. Access to outdoors and parks and those kinds of activities, like being able to kind of walk to some of that stuff. Those are some of the things that you're starting to see people search for more on sites like Zillow and Realtor, because there's a recognition that some parts of life have changed a little bit. And if you're looking longer term at what your living and working situation is going to be, you need to pick a place that checks a lot of those boxes. Now, remember, this is also an investment, as you said, right? So you're going to live in it for a while, but you want it to appreciate in value. And so it is, I think, important to take a step back and say, okay, these things are important for me, but as an investor, what things are going to be important for the next buyer? So if you are like hell bent on getting a sauna or something like that, that's not for everyone. And it may limit your buyer pool or like I live in a mid-century modern house. I think it's awesome, but it's not for everybody, right? Not everybody is going to want to live in the style of architecture that I live in. So it limits my pool of potential buyers. So as you're thinking about what's right for you now, you also want to be thinking about for the next buyer, what do you anticipate they're going to be looking for also? Yeah, the whole thing with the the school system, as a guy with no kids, I don't understand the whole school system, like what to look for. I mean, for me personally, I'm looking for good veterinarians, good dog schools, good pet coats for my dog, Jackson. But, you know, dog I, schools? <laughs> what is a dog school, eh? It's where the finest animals go, <laughs> obviously. So, <laughs> but what do you look for when you're looking for the school? Everyone says like good school system. We want like a good school district. How do you evaluate that? I think that's the thing that everyone talks about. No one knows how to do. Yeah. It's some parts of it are subjective. If you go to a site, like great schools is an example of a site or even sites again, like Realtor or Zillow will have it. They'll have ratings and scores for these schools, you know, usually on a zero to 10. What they're telling you there is what's the quality of teachers, student experience, size of the student body, that kind of stuff. Test scores, you know, all that. I guess what I would say on that is 
definitely go to more than one of these school ratings websites because some of them, if you take them on their own, are pretty wonky. Scores can get kind of way out of whack, especially if they're relying on parents to rate their school. Mm -hmm. You know, the parents that are going on and rating are like, my school sucks. Like you're not getting a lot of the like, yeah, this is awesome. Whereas some of the sites take more of the test scores into consideration. I guess my comment would be, don't just look at one of those sites. You almost need to aggregate them in your brain a little bit. Are your kids a public or private? Public. We're a public school family all the way. My wife and I are public school. So we believe it. We believe in the public schools. But right now, I'll tell you, with COVID and schools going slow, reopening, and teachers unions having a lot of power here, I'll tell you, we've thought twice about it. But yeah, <laughs> public school. Yeah, that's like almost like a, like Saratoga, those are almost like private schools in terms of quality of teachers and a lot of people in Gilroy, the route is private because the public yeah. schools just are terrible. Right. And that is a very viable route. You know, I think of friends that I have in Willow Glen over in San Jose, which is a really nice neighborhood. Really nice. The public schools there are okay. They're not great, but a lot of them go and live in Willow Glen and then send their kids to private schools. Yeah. So that is also an option. It's not like don't buy a house if it's a crappy school. There are options. But in terms of resale value and in terms of attracting a broader set of buyers, you're typically going to be more successful if you think about the schools. Just in general, say the real estate market does crash. It's not going to just be this uniform crash where every area gets hit the same. There's going to be some areas that hold the value a lot better and then some areas that just take a huge hit. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the best rule of thumb there is understand the dynamic of new construction versus existing homes. In some markets, if there's more land and more real estate, you can build new homes, you can overbuild. So you can find yourself in a situation where you've got a lot of inventory. Whereas in other markets, like again, here in the Bay Area, especially in the peninsula, you know, East Bay is a little different, but there's not a lot of room to build new homes. You kind of get what you get, right? Like the housing stock is not going to go up by 150,000 new units overnight. And if you look back to the last crash there in the late 2000s, 2008, 2007, a lot of the areas that got hardest hit, California included, were areas where new construction had just kind of run rampant. And so all of a sudden there were just tons of houses. Lots of speculating was going on then too. And so people got kind of left behind, unfortunately. Still paying the price. That's a phenomenal point because think about areas in the Bay Area where there's just like, there is no room to build. Mm -mm. That's like kind of that area where you're at, Los Gatos, the center of San Jose. I mean, where are you going to build? You can yeah. build up, but you can't build sideways. That's right. That's got to be a cushion when we go through a market downturn, which we don't know when that's going to be, but obviously that's something you have to think about. And that goes back to like, if you're thinking about moving, if you're thinking about moving to a place that's like a desert, that's something that you'd have to think about because when you have a desert, you have a lot of places you could build. You can keep building, keep building. So I think that's a good, important point is you want to look for areas where it's limited. I mean, for an investment standpoint, right? You want to look for places where they can't build forever. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of the factors to keep in mind. Yeah. So opportunities. So I think the last thing we wanted to talk about with you today is how do we find those deals? Obviously, we want to find the sweet deal, the house that's 80% off and get it before everyone else does. I mean, maybe that doesn't exist, but we still want to find a sweet deal. And it's really hard to, for the average potential buyer, you talk to the real estate guy, you know, maybe you're driving on the street and you're like, oh, I see a home for sale. But like, what's the best way to find the opportunities, like maybe something better than the rest. So a couple of things on this. I think first is if you're at all thinking about it, get your finances ready to go. 
Make sure that you've got a budget set, go through that pre-approval process, get all that stuff lined up as best you can, because the market is so hot right now for sellers that as a buyer, you're going to have to move really, really fast. So the last thing you want to do is have anything looming over you or be behind on any of this finance stuff, because that could be the difference. Like literally having a pre-approval letter versus not having a pre-approval letter could be the difference between whether or not you get the house. So like, don't have any excuses on the finance side, get that stuff ready to go. I have a really good friend in Columbia, Missouri, of all places. They are selling their house. They put it on the market on Thursday. They had... 23 showings in the first 24 hours. People Crazy. setting appointments. So that's not even open house, right? That's like people setting appointments with agents ready to buy, many of them with their pre-approval letter in hand. Columbia, Missouri, which really nice town, college town, amazing people. It's not the Bay Area. It's not what you think of as a hot market, but that's the kind of stuff that's happening. So get the finance stuff nailed down, ready to go. The next thing I would say is, at least when it comes to your home search process, really get started. You don't need to get started in a way where it's like, you got to find that exact home. Because the reality is, most of the time, you're not going to end up in that exact dream home that you really thought at the beginning of the process that you were going to move into. You need to start your searching process for a couple of reasons. One is you really need to get a good feel for like what's out there. What areas seem to be moving faster? Where are there houses that you might like? Where are the good schools? That kind of stuff. Just kind of start that process. More importantly, you need to start to come up with your list of needs and your list of wants. I have a family of five. I probably need four bedrooms. Otherwise, the kids are going to be sharing and nobody wins in that situation. Mm-hmm. Right? I want six bedrooms, but I need four. I need a two-car garage. I want a three-car garage, but I need a two-car garage. So the reason why the needs and wants thing is important is it kind of sets your minimum requirements for what your property needs to be so that you can live how you need to live. And that sort of allows you to kind of filter out stuff that doesn't quite hit that bar. Then above that, in terms of the wants, you're not going to get everything you want. So how much do you want it? It's okay to search for some of those things, but you kind of have to have this almost like sliding scale in your head of like, what do I absolutely have to have versus what do I actually want to have would be sort of nice to have. A lot of times those things that are wants are nice to have, like, I don't know, home theater or something like that, right? We already talked about a sauna. Like, sure, it's great. Those don't really add a lot to resale value. And at the end of the day, you don't necessarily like have to have it when you're in that home. So now that you got your finances in order, You're starting to kind of poke around a little bit. You're starting to come up with your list of needs and wants. Really start to use the tools. And when I say tools, it's those online real estate tools like a Zillow or realtor.com, some of those tools. Create an account, start saving properties, start saving searches, do some of those things. So let me take a step back and say, why would you do something like this? The reason why you would want to save properties or save searches on some of these websites is they will notify you the moment a new property becomes available. So remember that story of the guy in Columbia, Missouri? Mm -hmm. 23 families showed up in the first 24 hours. And I would say if you probably one of them, you're probably not getting that house. Now, if you would have had an alert set up on a realtor or a Zillow, you would have found out literally the moment it hit the MLS. 
they'll send it within five, 10 minutes. In some cases, like at Realtor, there were some alerts that we would send within two minutes of them getting on the MLS, sometimes even faster than that. These search tools have gotten really robust. So you can actually go in and say, I want to buy a four bedroom, two bath, 1800 square foot, two car garage, home with air conditioning on a lot that's 5,000 square feet, in my case, mid-century modern, so built between 1955 and 1970 in zip code 95130, save. Anytime anything in that criteria drops in, I'll get pinged immediately. I'll get a push notification on my phone. I'll get an email, whatever it is. You can create all kinds of searches on these sites. I have, for example, I've probably got 10 different searches saved, both on Realtor and on Zillow, because I'm always curious to see what will be sent to me. And some of those are just in places where I like the houses because they're kind of cool. And others are like, yeah, maybe this is a good investment property or maybe it's a good opportunity for us to relocate or whatever it is. There's no limit on the number of, uh, there probably is a limit, I don't know, but I've certainly never hit it. There's no limit on the number of things that you can do to sort of save. So then stuff is flowing into your inbox as it becomes available, which means you're never going to miss out. Like you don't want to be the last to know. The list of 23 people that showed up in Columbia, Missouri, you want to be family number one, two, or three, probably Mm -hmm. not 23 and certainly not 30. Yeah. And the sites are aggressive. I've saved some searches. They're like on it, like you said, within seconds. Absolutely. Because they know that it's all about being first. It's being first in the email inbox because then you're going to be the one that gets the click. Nate, I've got a question. So like all these tips are great. You mentioned getting your finances in order, understanding the tools. But let's be real here. Why is it that everyone I talked to who has bought a house recently, they're just dead inside after the process? Like, <laughs> like, what can we do to um, fix this? Like, it seems like there's a massive opportunity to like yeah, I make agree. what should be a positive experience more positive. It is, everyone is just yeah, the nightmare. Right. And the first night you're in the home, you have buyer's remorse, right? Where you're like staring at the ceiling. You're like, holy shit, what did I just do? Yeah, it's an exhausting process. I think sites like Zillow and others, when you look at the advertising, it seems simple, right? It's like, oh, I push a button and I get a house. Isn't that amazing? You know, and <laughs> my family and I were like sitting around the kitchen table and smiling and laughing and that kind of stuff. We're not worried about how are we going to pay for the <laughs> replacement water heater that went out a month after we moved in, that kind of stuff. The reality is you're probably going to have to put in offers on multiple properties. You're going to experience that kind of heartbreak where you're like set on a home and you don't get it. So that's draining, right? Once the offer is finally accepted, the escrow process is kind of painful too, because it seems to drag and then you got to sign a bunch of stuff. That's sort of a pain also. And then you move into the home and you realize like, look, it's not perfect. Or there were things that weren't disclosed. And oh my God, I think to answer your question, I don't know, I feel like I sound like my dad when I say this kind of stuff, but like some of it is trying to match expectations with reality. Trying to go into this situation being a little realistic about what it's going to be. Really don't think that there's going to be unicorns grazing on your front lawn <laughs> after you move in, right? Like it's, it's, it's going to be painful. So some of it is if you kind of have that expectation going up front that there are going to be some bumps on the road, then, you know, perhaps you're able to get through it a little bit. I will say that there's a huge opportunity for the process to be improved. Yeah. So the closing process is a great example. Boy, it feels like somebody should be able to come up with a better solution to simplify and speed up that part of the process. And there are companies that are trying to do it. I think Zillow is actually the one that's furthest along on some of this, where 
they'll buy your home. They'll do a lot of that stuff. They'll make it pretty easy for you to get through all that paperwork. Open Door is another great example of this eye buying model where they actually will buy and sell homes too. And you literally can like buy or sell a home from your couch. Some parts of that process, I think will get improved. To me though, like one of the fun parts of the process is actually the thrill of the hunt, the thrill of finding that home. That's kind of one of the fun parts of the process, I think. This stuff that's really painful is like, oh my God, there's contingencies and I need the people who I just bought this house from to move. Well, they haven't found a house yet. They have to rent back from me. Well, that means I need to rent back for the people that I, <laughs> that I just sold my house to. So some of that stuff is pretty painful. Yeah, it's just like an interesting dynamic, I think, because tools like Zillow and all the other ones are making the front end of the process a lot engaging and fun. But then everything else is just pulling teeth, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. There's other models out there that are interesting that will essentially like do bridge loans where if you identify a home and want to buy it, but you're not quite ready to sell yours because maybe it happened really fast. A lot of the challenge is like the timing of it, especially when the market's as crazy as it is. It's like landing on a postage stamp. There's a lot of things that can happen. So if you've got like a bridge loan where you can say, okay, somebody's going to help me with the mortgage on my existing home as I'm moving into the next one. And there's some of those things that will make that process a little bit easier. Still doesn't make it easier for first-time homebuyers because they've never gone through it before. They really don't know what to expect. That's where having a good agent, especially for a first-time homebuyer, is really helpful because they can just kind of keep you sane and calm through the process. I totally agree with you on that point. If you were to give someone advice on how to go and find the best broker, especially a new homebuyer, yeah. how would you go about it? There's a few ways you can do it. I think referrals is still one of the best ways to do it. Talk to people you trust around you and say, hey, who have you used in the past? Who would you recommend? That to me is still one of the best ways to do it. And frankly, it's also one of the primary ways that business happens in the industry is still through referral and repeat business. I think identifying, especially once you've figured out what neighborhood you want to move in, there are ways on sites like Zillow and Realtor to figure out who's bought and sold homes within those areas. I've never met a real estate agent who hasn't said that they're a neighborhood expert. Literally every single one says <laughs> they're a neighborhood expert. But there are truly some neighborhood experts. I think I talked about them on the last podcast. My friend Andy Wong here in Los Altos, like he is the expert when it comes to this corner of Los Altos. He knows it better than anybody else. And so if you want to buy in there, he's going to know the best streets and best properties and that kind of stuff. So. That really doesn't matter, right? Having that expert. Because before, I, I, I always thought so. it was like, ah, are you because you live in the city? I mean, but there is another level of expert, right? I think there can be. And I think that's what sets apart the very best 200 to 300,000 agents in the country versus the 2 million people in the country that claim they're real estate agents. Hmm. There literally are 2 million people that'll say like, I'm a real estate. And they are, but it's a, <laughs> it's a small set of them that, are really active, really work it. Like they work hard. They work super hard. Focusing on trying to find somebody like that, which most often you'll be able to find, I think through a referral is definitely the best way to go. I agree with you. When you get a referral from somebody, they're speaking from their actual experience. Yeah. So you can have some kind of security in that. Yeah. And I know what you're talking about so well. Like I deal with brokers and, and real estate agents all the time. And so many of them just don't even know what's going on. They miss the ball completely on how they should handle things. Yeah. I see a lot of them, they pride themselves on, I don't know if you have this experience, but I'll send emails out and these guys will respond to me in like 20 seconds, like yeah. with one word or something. And it's like that, you know, that's their superpower, but 
beyond that timely response, there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we just, we, we lost Idaho people today, Gilroy people right. and realtors. Good job, yeah. Matt. Yeah. Good job, team. Wait, wait, what was that? Realtor? Oh, it's okay. Realtor. Realtor. It's okay. It's okay. We'll let it go. We'll edit it. We can edit it out. Yeah. I think to your point, like real estate is still like a people business for the most part. I mean, it still requires people kind of coming together to transact on a home. On the fringes, you can do a lot of it directly, but you still need people helping you, advocating for you on your behalf and that kind of stuff. And so finding the best people in that process is definitely a good thing. So final question, Nate. Yeah. The two main search engines, there's realtor.com and there's Zillow. Everyone talks about how Zillow is probably the best one to go to, best company behind it. I mean, is that true? You're talking to somebody who spent five years of their life trying to (laughs) overcome that. Um, I I guess what I would say, and this is in all seriousness, because I'm no longer, I don't work for Realtor anymore and I definitely don't work for Zillow, never did. I think you should use more than one tool because some stuff will be more accurate on certain sites. Some stuff will be a little bit different. There are some tools that may be available on Realtor that aren't available on Zillow and vice versa. And when you're doing a home search, I think you want to make sure all your bases are covered. So what I can tell you is Realtor is the fastest at getting you alerts, for sure. Redfin's fast too. Realtor's the fastest. On the flip side, Zillow has other properties that might not be available on a site like Realtor because they've got things like foreclosures and they've got that whole like make me move feature and things that you might be able to find on Zillow that aren't even on the MLS yet. So there may be more things that you can see on a site like Zillow, but this is why I think you want to use a handful of tools. And yeah, is your email inbox going to get filled up with alerts and that kind of stuff? Probably, but I think you'd rather be in that situation where you're trying to maneuver your inbox versus missing out on possibly finding that home that's perfect for your family. You got to use multiple tools. Also, Realtor.com is definitely better. (laughs) Is that a hat from Realtor.com? It's not actually. No, it's not. A little hat on it. No, this is from a company called Veterans United. I've known these guys for years and they are the largest provider of VA loans in the country. And boy, what a great service they provide, right? Like they will help the proud men and women that have protected us. It's the least Uh, we could do, right? I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These guys. They're awesome. They're based in Columbia, Missouri, and I love those guys. Very cool. Nate, thank you for coming on our show, man. Like I said, you are probably our only friend on the Free Retiree Show. We love you. Happy to provide that service. Yeah, I mean, we're so blessed to have you on multiple times. And you got to send him something for being a two-time guest. Yeah, we definitely do. Two times. (laughs) Well, hey, look, I'm happy to do this again. I mean, I think one thing is certain real estate right now is very dynamic. And there's nothing for us to think otherwise than the situation three months from now, six months from now with rates and all this stuff could change significantly. So you got to stay on top of it because it's not the same as it was last week or last month. And it certainly will be different next week and next month. Awesome. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. 
Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.